This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 323, Why Dave Ramsey Uses Disgust to Get You to Believe Him. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Wait a minute, you didn't know we had a YouTube channel? That's right, we put content that we don't put anywhere else on YouTube, and you need to see it to believe it. So be sure to follow, like, and subscribe our channel so you won't miss a thing. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode, and I just want to take you back in your mind, go back into your elementary school cafeteria. You have that picture in your mind? If yours was like mine, you'd have the aroma of that rectangular-shaped pizza. Why was it rectangular-shaped? I don't know. Chicken nuggets, macaroni and cheese wafting in the air. You can hear the chatter of your classmates. You can hear the clatter of trays and utensils. Friends are swapping trading cards. Maybe it was baseball. Maybe it was Pokemon. Stickers cramming for the quiz the next class. Maybe there's some colorful posters on the wall. And of course, the long bench tables and milk cartons everywhere. Those milk cartons, notoriously difficult to open those. And if you had the chocolate milk, you were like sitting pretty. You were That was always the first to sell out, at least in my cafeteria. And of course, we had the lunch lady. Now, I'm not sure what your cafeteria worker was like whether the stereotypical lunch lady like Mrs. Puff from SpongeBob SquarePants or or maybe the lunch lady Doris from The Simpsons. And of course, there are plenty of amazing people helping to serve our kids across the country in this capacity. But one thing always stuck in my mind, and that was the hairnets. Ah, yes, the hairnet. Anyone working in a kitchen, anyone with hair, that is, that counts me out, has to wear a hairnet. Why is that? because hair apparently falls out. Even on a healthy head, you're going to lose about 100 hairs off of your head every single day. And don't worry, this usually grows back, unless you have a bald head like mine. But don't worry, I'm not worried about my bald head, because as I've always been told, the best men always come out on top. All right, there's my dad joke for the day. So what if someone's making your delicious apple pie and they're rolling out the dough, they're cutting up the butter, they're getting all the fruit ready, and then they put everything in the oven, and all the while their hair is falling out of their head. There's going to be a chance, at least, that some of that hair gets into the pie. That's totally gross, right? What a way to ruin a perfectly good, delicious apple pie. Everybody agrees that's just kind of gross, especially elementary school kids. Can you imagine the squealing and the screams if they found a big, long you know, black hair in their apple pie? But guess what? People didn't always wear hairnets. In fact, not that long ago, people didn't think that hair in the food was even that big a deal at all. It was just something that happened every so often. This all changed when a man named Edward Bernays came along. Now, Edward was born in Vienna, Austria in 1891. He moved to the United States when he was still just a child. He was a nephew of actually Sigmund Freud, of all things, and he studied at Cornell University in the field of public relations. He had this innovative and maybe some people say controversial approach for his clients in marketing and in propaganda. He ranged in his clientele from corporations and even governments. 
He used press releases, testimonials, media manipulation to shape public opinion. And he knew that public relations was actually a form of social engineering, which could be used for good or evil purposes. For example, he persuaded women to smoke cigarettes as a symbol of freedom and equality when he was working for the American Tobacco Company. He actually staged a publicity stunt where he hired a group of women to light up what he called torches of freedom during the 1929 Easter Day Parade in New York City. So this sparked a social trend of women smoking in public, something that had not yet been done before he put that stunt on. But okay, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get back to hairnets. The hairnets company, the Vienda hairnets company was declining in sales due to you know, popularity of short hairstyles among women happening during the time that Edward Bernays became their client. Bernays created a fear campaign that emphasized the dangers of disgusting hair in factories and in restaurants. So he warned again that the risks of hair getting caught in machinery might even contaminate people's food. He influenced legislators to pass laws that required hairnets for certain workers. And as a result, he boosted the demand of hairnets and he saved the Vienda company from bankruptcy. So that's great. Good for him. He went around the world and convinced people that finding a hair in your food was about the grossest thing that could happen and that the only way to stop it was more hairnets. And of course, because of his skill, people believed him. They started selling more and more hairnets. Now people in kitchens still wearing hairnets. And that's why you think it's gross to find a hair in your food. That's all thanks to Edward Bernays. I'm not sure whether I should be thanking him, but I'm definitely impressed with his skill. You see, Edward understood that you could tap into the court of human emotion through disgust and cause a change in behavior. It's true. Disgust is an emotion that's been instilled in us to protect us from lots of threats, pathogens, parasites, viruses. It's triggered by our senses anytime we perceive a smell or a taste or a sight that's categorized as unpleasant in the mind, right? When we elicit that disgust response in our mind. Disgust can also be conjured up by moral violations too. For example, cruelty or injustice, especially on children or corruption in government, that sort of thing. This feeling of disgust is all about feeling repulsed. It's this strong motivation to avoid or reject or punish the source of that disgust, whatever it might be. The emotion of disgust is found deep into the human brain. It's part of the basal ganglia. Uh, this same area of the brain regulates physical movement, learning, responses to pain, and even reward. So it's really buried deep down in there. So here's my key question. If Edward Bernays was using disgust and other key emotional manipulative processes in his marketing 100 years ago, how might you and me be manipulated through this same emotion today. With all the advances in understanding of how the human mind works, what are some ways you're acting, not from your own desires, but simply reacting to someone else's well-crafted marketing pitch? Think about that for a minute. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's take our friend Dave Ramsey, for example. He's another classic public relations master. Dave Ramsey uses the emotion of disgust to convince people to avoid, in particular, whole life insurance by using strong, negative words. Words like hate, horrible, horrendous, evil, and even the word screw. How do those words make you feel? 
compare he compares whole life insurance to other things we've discussed, like viruses with the IRS. He's appealing to our emotions when he talks about whole life insurance, saying that anyone who buys a whole life policy has been cheated or manipulated or robbed by the insurance company and those greedy insurance agents. For example, in his book, The Total Money Makeover, Dave Ramsey writes, whole life is a ripoff. Quote, I'm, I'm quoting him here. It says, whole life is a ripoff. It's a way to screw people out of their money. It's a way to make you poor and make the agent rich. It's a way to make the insurance company rich and make you poor. It's a way to make your family poor when you die. Wow. End quote. <laughs> well, if that's not incredibly well-written marketing smack, I don't know what is. I don't want to die. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to make my family poor. I don't want to make some other agent rich. I don't like the words rip off or screw. So what he does in two or three sentences completely undoes a century of Americans successfully saving for their own future and providing ample, ample cash for their loved ones when they pass away. Let's just take another one. In his article, The Truth About Life Insurance, Dave Ramsey writes, quote, whole life insurance is like buying pet insurance on your goldfish. You're paying way too much for something that won't last. And the worst part is that the returns on whole life policies are horrible. You'd be better off taking that money and investing it yourself, end quote. Using the emotion of disgust, once again, you can feel it as I read those words to you, Dave wipes clean any notion of open-mindedness and he clears the deck for you to believe whatever he's going to tell you to do next, which of course is to buy his recommended term insurance from his term insurance affiliate. And don't forget to get into those 12% mutual funds that he's always bragging about and also being paid to advertise. So does he ever say anything that elicits disgust with either term insurance or mutual funds? Of course not. With the stock market, he's only got good things to say. He uses positive emotions like confidence, optimism, gratitude to motivate people to invest for the long term. In his article, How to Invest in the Stock Market, Dave Ramsey writes, and I quote, The stock market is a powerful wealth-building tool that has made millions of Americans financially independent. You feel the difference when you hear that versus what he's doing when he's talking about whole life insurance? He's crafted this over several decades, of course. He's gotten very good at what he does. He is the Edward Bernays of the financial infotainment industry. So please remember that Dave Ramsey holds no financial licenses. He cannot give you any financial advice. His opinions are his own, and his opinions are motivated by his media empire and his sponsors. Is it any surprise to you that he points people to his own advisors, his own products, that he endorses, of course, and who he gets paid to endorse? Is it any wonder that he has a history with A.L. Williams who convinced the country back in the 70s to ditch their whole life insurance and jump into the stock market? What if we used disgust with the stock market? Let's, let's do that. Investing in the stock market disgusts me. It's a way to waste your hard-earned money on companies that are unethical, corrupt, and incompetent. It's a way to expose yourself to risk, loss, scams that will make you sick to your stomach. You'll be supporting industries that are harmful to society and humanity. You'll be exploiting workers, animals, and natural resources. I mean, how many companies in your 401k are using child labor, sweatshops, slaves to produce goods? 
How many companies are abusing animals for testing? How many are polluting the air and water and land? How can you stomach investing in such companies that cause so much suffering? When you're investing in the stock market, you're also getting into bed with these companies that lie and cheat and steal from their customers and their shareholders and regulators. Companies in the S&P 500 buried in your IRA are falsifying financial statements. They're inflating earnings. They're selling defective, dangerous, and fraudulent products. Other companies are evading taxes, bribing government officials, and engaging in insider trading. How can you trust investing in such companies that are so dishonest and crooked? And can you imagine putting your money into a market that's so volatile, unpredictable, and doomed to fail? Believe me, technological and consumer disruptions are going to mean investment decisions are going to cause you to lose cash that you've worked so hard to save. If you enjoy investing in the stock market, you're going to be shackled with stress and anxiety and depression. You're going to be compromising your values and your principles and your conscience. And of course, I'm being a little over the top here. Okay, so my little fun experiment is done. I understand nuance. That's what makes me different from Dave Ramsey, of course. But when you're catering to the masses like Dave Ramsey is on his radio show, you can only paint by number. There's no such thing as nuance for Dave Ramsey. And of course, I'm not just picking on Dave Ramsey here. I need to be very clear. I've personally benefited from his motivation. He got me disgusted with my huge amount of student loan debt. And for that, I'm thankful. But the more I read about human behavior, the more I realize he was also manipulating me. Listen carefully, not just to the financial pundits and infotainers, but also the people in your own life who parrot the impulse to use emotion to manipulate you. Friends, family, coworkers, they might all have good intentions, but they might also have biases, conflicts of interest, or simply just they're repeating what they heard on the radio yesterday. For example, your uncle may tell you to invest in a certain company, because he works there, or he knows somebody who does. Your financial advisor may be offering you professional guidance, but they've got fees or incentives that might impair their judgment to you. So we've talked about this phenomenon in a recent episode. Go back and listen to episode 302, The Upton Sinclair Paradox, where it's very difficult to convince someone of something when their salary is dependent on them not being convinced. That's the Upton Sinclair Paradox. Okay, now with the acceleration of social media influencers, this is happening on a grand scale. When I was coming of age, it was kind of a couple of radio personalities, but now there's thousands, tens of thousands of social media influencers that are endorsing, recommending all kinds of financial products and strategies that may or may not be in your best interest. You know, within 60 seconds on a TikTok video, they may change the course of your financial life for the worse. For example, a celebrity may endorse an investment. Maybe it's their latest crypto hack. And they have no recourse if you lose all of your hard-earned money because you made a decision to put money into their hairnet, I mean, hairbrain idea. But there's another kind of psychology and the kind of work I'm so pleased to get to do with my clients. Franz Kafka, he used to work for an insurance company in Prague. He said insurance is like a religion. Insurance is like a primitive religion. It's the religion of people who believe that by having insurance, they can ward off any evil, end quote. So Kafka says that what leads us to buy insurance is not rational thinking, but more magical thinking. It's the belief that if I have insurance, somehow magically that negative event will not happen in the future. Now, of course, this is totally irrational. Just because you brought an umbrella to work does not mean it's automatically going to start to rain today. 
If your car gets stolen, yes, the insurance company will cushion the blow. And with compensation, you could probably get a new car. But the fact that you have car insurance does not make it less likely that your car is going to get stolen. But we feel that way. In fact, behavioral psychologist Orit Tykokninsky asked a group of people to predict the likelihood that they might suffer a sort of medical misfortune, let's say, uh, needing surgery or needing a nursing home, that sort of thing. And she asked another group of people the same question, but first she asked, do you have health insurance? That's all she did. She asked this in a country that had universal health care, so of course the answer was yes. Just by simply reminding people that they had health insurance made them feel less at risk. In fact, not only did they feel less likely that they'd have that negative medical experience just because they had health insurance, they felt like they would less likely lose money in the stock market. And they even felt like there'd be less prospects for a war in Europe. So this insurance thing is sort of magical. Kafka was right. We buy insurance against events that we fear the most. And once we've been armed with insurance, we no longer feel the risk. Think of insurance as an antidote, not a vaccine. It does not ward off evil. It's not some sort of talisman. It does not eliminate the risk. However, when it comes to insurance, the distinction between antidote and vaccine, somehow it gets blurred in our minds. It reduces our anxiety. It makes the outcome that we're imagining in our negative future somehow less grim. So by purchasing, say, travel insurance, we're no longer feeling that feeling of being stuck at the airport late at night. We don't get that feeling of fear or disgust. We know we'll be compensated. We know we'll be given some sort of travel voucher. So that word insurance comes from the word sure, which means lack of doubt. So let's take another look at insurance advertising. About the same time as Edward Bernays was pushing women to smoke in public and grossing you out with hair in your apple pie, there's an advertisement that was on display at the British Exposition. It was back in 1924. And there's this man in the advertisement. He's looking terrified as he looks up at these bricks of doom, the fire accident, the medical emergency, all falling on his head. The marketing copy on the bottom of the advertisement said, anxiety, which perfectly described this man's expression on his face. But the advertisement had a tag that you could pull on. And if you pulled on that tag, something inside it slides and the guy transforms. He now has the protection of an insurance helmet. And his expression has changed from fear into confidence, a confident smile. Why is that? Because he had insurance. Prudential insurance, right? Which was the maker of that particular advertisement, dispelled his anxiety. Look at the logos from insurance companies around and you'll see the same thing. Umbrellas, fortresses, you know, bricks, strength. The message is plain and clear. When you have insurance, all is going to be well in the world. However, to get us to buy insurance, the promoters must also work on our fears, which is why right after you paid a lot of money for that top-of-the-line refrigerator, the same seller who just moments ago was explaining how reliable the product is, how nice and, and how long it's going to last, is now telling you it's going to break down at any moment, which is why you need to get that extended warranty. And in fact, you buy insurance to avoid the pain of loss. It's the pain that you're trying to avoid. And this loss is possible, but it's not eventual. In other words, I buy fire insurance on my house, hoping I never see my house burned down. I get health insurance, hoping I never have to use it. 
It's a loss mitigation tactic. But interestingly, life insurance is altogether different. Life insurance is the only kind of insurance I'm aware of that guarantees guarantees the claim will be paid someday. Why? Because we're all finite mortal human beings. We might get caught up in the human psychology that believing in buying life insurance means we won't die. But of course, it's quite literally the opposite. We're still going to move to the other side of the grass, whether we buy life insurance or not. But we'll be making our family just a little less sad by leaving them an incredible gift. We'll be making the pain of loss a little less intense and we'll provide peace of mind during a very difficult time, a, a gift of love during maybe the most difficult time of their life. We'll be contributing to the mission, the charities, the causes that you care about, whether it's your children's college or a charity you believe in. Uh, why should the mission of your entire life stop just because your heart stopped beating? So this is why whole life insurance is different than other kinds of insurance out there. It guarantees a claim will be paid someday, hopefully decades from now, of course. But this provides a peace of mind. It provides security and comfort, which is altogether different than the stock market. I'm sorry to say, Dave Ramsey, it just doesn't have any guarantees. In fact, with his term insurance quote, he suggests that you get into term insurance. Well, I've read that a recent study says that 99% of term insurance never pays a claim. And I don't know of anybody who's getting 12% a year on their mutual funds. And what's more of a ripoff than that? Now, please understand that I'm all for term insurance. And it makes sense for some folks. Again, nuance is not something Dave Ramsey has time or energy to incorporate into his radio show. So what are the lessons from all this? For you, for us. Well, first of all, next time you consider buying insurance, remember Kafka, not Ramsey. Ask yourself, Am I buying insurance for the right reasons? Am I making a really smart decision or am I just trying to please my psyche? As for insurance companies, I hope they'll consider changing their message. Please don't sell magical happiness. Encourage us to buy insurance because it's the real and rational and responsible thing to do. So guys, I hope this little deep dive into the toolbox of disgust and financial manipulation has been helpful. It was a big insight for me when I realized that in many ways, Dave Ramsey was manipulating me. And I mean that in a good way. I, I do believe he has angelic intentions, or at least I try to assume that with him. Uh, he may not always have all the right answers, but he's really figured out how to get you motivated to take action. Uh, he certainly helped me and my family. He's maybe helped yours, but please understand that he does not have a corner on truth. So as we wrap up this episode, take away what you can and realize where disgust is being used in your marketing, in the marketing in your life. And take some time to decide, am I making this decision because someone else told me to? Or is it something that I truly want? So with that, thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your marketing, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.